I, I think it becomes psychological in that sense where it's like people put music out because they want to connect, you know, like people want to connect with other people. And I think putting music out can become like this really like lone wolf kind of, especially electronic music. It can become like this really lonely trail and you work and work and work and work. And you're like dreaming of this time where you reveal this idea and all of its glory and all these people gather around. And it's like, like a Lord of the Rings moment, like at the end when all the different armies come together and all that shit. It's like this really exciting thing. <laughs> but you put the record out and it's kind of like, cool, dude, your record's sick. And then a week later, or two weeks later, or a month later, the bubble just bubbles out, you know? And like, yeah, it's like, come on, where's the next one? <laughs> Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm his manager, Anand Harsh, back in the saddle once again doing these intros for Bill because I'm such a generous and nurturing person. We've got a super special episode today with one of the all-time greats, Jake Stanchek, a.k.a. Kill the Noise. Like Bill, Kill the Noise has collaborated with Dead Mouse and released music on Mousetrap. He's also collabed with Skrillex, Feed Me, Seven Lions, previous guest Matt Zoe, and Tom Morello. He's had tracks featured in movies like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot, Triple X, Return of Xander Cage, and the Netflix movie Shadow of the Moon. He's an all-around fascinating dude, and this is a really cool episode. Uh, a note for listeners, there was an issue with Jake's recording, so partway through the episode, we have to switch to Zoom audio on his mic, but it's a nice long episode, and that's just for a small segment of it, so learn to live with it. We'll all get through this. We are so thankful to all the Patreon subscribers who've gotten on board to support the show. It means a lot to Bill and our podcast producer, Robert, who spends hours and hours on these each week and has several mouths to feed. We are constantly dreaming up fun new content for subscribers and figuring out ways to make the Patreon model work for us and for you, the fans. You get early access to episodes at any subscription level, so we do encourage you to go to patreon.com slash Tunes and pitch in whatever you can to help us keep going. Go to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up as a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, and there's some exciting stuff in store for all the Abletoneers. More on that on future podcasts. Okay, let's jump into this supersized episode with Kill the Noise. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 well yeah we're good to go thanks for taking the time to do this i appreciate it yeah it's my pleasure man it was cool uh just having some time to talk on the phone the other day yeah yeah i always think it's <clears throat> i don't know i'm kind of of two minds about whether or not it's good to do dry runs for podcasts or not right because in one sense it's like you get uh, especially if you've never talked to someone before like we hadn't um, it's good to get an idea of, um, you know, how the conversation is going to go and what, what it's like, like what the dynamic of conversation is like with that person and stuff yeah. like that. But on the other hand, it's kind of like you chew up a bunch of material that you could have, <laughs> that you could have talked about. Yeah. Like I think this, I've, 
one of the things we were talking about is like, uh, what's the point of like doing a podcast if we're just going to talk about like kind of topical bullshit? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like how did, how did you start DJing? Like, well, you know what I mean? Like shit that I don't think anybody really gives a fuck about at the end of the day. It's All like, right. I, I was just curious what you're going to talk about after, uh, I had a chance to poke around on, um, Spotify just at some of your other episodes. I was like, okay, cool. Like this is definitely the kind of format. It's just, it's kind of like, you know, tangential. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's the most fun and fulfilling way to have conversations. I think is when both people agree to just like go on tangents and just talk about all sorts of shit. I think it's yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, the, the, the type of interviews you're talking about that I think we all, um, or not everyone, but obviously artists do a lot. Um, are definitely redundant i think because it's like not only have you done them all before but yeah i don't think people give a shit but it's um <clears throat> i feel like you really only either have to one make a wikipedia page or two um you know write a bio that kind of just mentions all that information or just do one interview ever basically with with a blog or something like that and you've kind of done all of them like you don't really need to recapture <laughs> those same answers again and again yeah i mean I've gotten the point in my life now where it's like the kinds of conversations in general I want to have with people are uh, kind of like exploring what we're thinking about in the moment, like just projects we're working on, like the way we see music, like this kind of the reasons why we're making music at the moment. Uh, You know, I, I think that that's at this point in my life, those are the kinds of conversations I have with my friends. So mm-hmm you know, I, I'm not trying to pander to anybody at this point. It's like, if we're going to record something about our music careers. I think it's like kind of meta in that way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, the interesting thing about having a podcast where I mostly talk to music producers <clears throat> is that, um, yeah, music's like a, well, I guess music and art really in general, I just, super different from a lot of other things in the in the sense that there's just like no wrong answer right so for instance um my girlfriend is a programmer and we've Mm -hmm. talked about this at length before and uh with programming it's sort of like at the for starters you need to know exactly what you want to do at the start of the program of the process right you can't just have like a you know with something like music or art you can kind of go into it with no idea and just start fucking around and eventually end up with something yeah um because there's no real wrong answer at the end right with programming it's kind of like at the end there's like either a correct or an incorrect answer and therefore it seems like conversations in that realm kind of revolve around just like here's how you do the thing and there's really only like one of two sort of right ways to do certain things in that field right and it's kind of the same with a lot of fields but that's kind of the thing that makes this podcast interesting. I think is I mostly talk to artists and there's just nothing wrong in this field. There's no rules and shit. So it's kind of like the conversations can just get so different every time. I I feel like. Yeah. That's interesting, man. The, I guess I never really thought that hard about the programming thing. I've like messed around in like uh, max for live and stuff like that. And just real simple HTML stuff. But I, I guess I, I, it was all like experimenting for me. So I, I never really actually built anything that was like too complicated. Right. But I, I can see how, I mean, I've had like a lot of friends, of course, that are into the programming stuff and it's like, 
I could see where that kind of like membrane is between the way your mind might work as a programmer versus a musician. Uh, well, it seems I've like always, with, with programming, right? Like for instance, I'm making something right now. It's called a, a Circo Sampler. So it's basically like a circus plot sequencer type thing. And I'm, I'm trying to make it. And, and basically what you have to do is figure out what the end product is that you're trying to make. And then you have to sort of work backwards from there and break it down into processes, right? So first thing mm-hmm. I need to do is like, because the, the end product is a sort of circular Euclidean weird MIDI sequencer type thing. So first thing I have to do is make just a working step sequencer. And then from there, I have to make like a plot, like a circular plot. So I need to figure out how to do that. And then I need to figure mm-hmm. out how to like build the sequence into the circular plot. And there's only so many ways you can do it. Um, whereas with music, it's almost like thinking about music that way is the worst way to make it. Like for instance, right. um, if you go, I want to make a dubstep song and then you start working your way back by being like, all right, well, it needs drums. It needs a screechy bass. It needs a wub. It needs like all this shit. And then you find right, right, right. this, this point where it is a dubstep track. But there's, it always just feels like there's something missing, even though all the the parts are there and it's technically working as a dubstep song. Yeah, we. I was talking about something like this on. I've, I've been doing like some Twitch streaming and on some YouTube streaming stuff over this quarantine period. I was talking to you about this on the phone the other day, but mm-hmm. um, one of the things we were talking about is like just how there's a lot of tutorials online that kind of break things down into these really hyper specific, you know, like, it's like, okay, you want to make a sound that sounds like whatever's hot at the moment, right? Like maybe they'll, it'll be like a tutorial to make some kind of like rhythm noise or something. And then it'll be some kid in his bedroom saying, you know, you want to turn the cutoff on this filter to two o'clock. And like, there's all these really specific kind of processes and then mm-hmm. kids pop up on my discord or you know send links to feedback stuff and i'm like man i can hear just you know everyone trying to get the same results as a specific artist and mm-hmm. i think kind of along the lines of what you're talking about it's like there has to be a, a time where you because you know i do my own kind of like reverse engineering and you know figure stuff out create racks like you know, understanding signal flow and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thankful I started out working in, in a program called reason, which I don't know if everybody knows what that is now, but, uh, reason? yeah, they just uh, released the reason rack, which means you can now open it as a VST inside Ableton or whatever. Yeah. I've been using it. Dude, it's fucking awesome. Uh, dude, you know, once your DAW can open as a VST in another DAW, it's you've, you've, you've become the DA, the, the DAW bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, or, or maybe you've become the most efficient DAW. Who knows? Well, it's one of those things that they probably should have done a long time ago. I'm glad that they did it, but that's something we always wanted to do. Like when I moved over to Ableton, um, I actually to, to, to kind of illustrate my point, like I had a really good understanding of signal flow jumping into Ableton Live from Reason because, you know, in order to do some of the cooler things inside Reason, you have to flip around the devices and, you know, mess around with CV and signal flow and all that. It, it was like really an obvious part of creating music in reason. It was kind of built into the process. Right. So mm-hmm. I was like playing around making music with my friends that had just started in Ableton and they didn't realize it made a difference in some cases 
if you put something in front of something else, you know, that real simple logic there and that simple right. like kind of the order of operations. So. Yeah. The signal flow. And like, uh, you know, I mean, obviously on a much more complicated level, programming is the same kind of an idea where it's like your you know, formulas and math that has to go in a certain order. And if you get w- one thing wrong, I guess, in that sense, it's not going to do exactly what you want it to do. Right. Or it might not work at all in that case. Music is a little different where you can... Yeah, I think of, more often than not, it just won't work. <laughs> right, 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 right. But yeah. I think that like there's this mentality that a lot of the younger guys coming up that, you know, you can go on the internet and find like racks that people have already made. You can find presets that people have already made. I mean, literally, you could just download a project that somebody made that sounds almost exactly like whatever the sauce is of the moment, like whatever's hot, whatever's trending and people can just play with those pieces. I'm not saying that that's, you know, a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it just, you know, it removes that creative spark where you say, okay, I don't know exactly how to do what it is that I'm trying to do. So I'm just going to do what comes naturally to me and try to figure it out. Like by just playing around, you know, and like uh, some of the coolest shit that I ever came up with, I have to remind myself uh, now that I know how to do a lot of things, like I'll listen to something that somebody else did. I'm like, oh, okay, I know how they did that uh, with a little bit of, you know, messing around in the studio. But when I was a little bit more naive, it was like, okay, I don't know how to make a talking bass sound. So I'm going to take my uh, talk box, my Banshee and run massive through it and layer that like high pass that and layer it with a bass sound that's kind of doing the movement with, other parameters I understand how to control. And now I can make this like growly bass thing. And on top of it, I have all these little scraps of weird shit that was coming out of the microphone and feedback. And, you know, you have all these like really interesting sounds to play around with. And I just think nowadays, like I, that's such a fucking boomer thing to say, by the way, nowadays, but (laughs) I'm just saying I used an actual piece of hardware. (laughs) Well, I just think that like, it's, I mean, you can do a lot of the similar kinds of things in the box too, right? Like just mm, uh, absolutely, yeah. just experimenting with like running weird signal paths and looping things and, you know. I mean, there's even like plugins now that would probably give you all the scraps out of the microphone type shit in it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, uh, you know, I, somewhere along the lines of this idea that there's a way to do things, I think that's where, where the breakdown is between you know, people that that come at making music with that really like engineer brain and people that are kind of like the organized or, you know, some kind of method to the madness, so to speak. Right. Well, here's the thing, right? Is like everyone has the same tools. Like you use Ableton, I use Ableton, fucking Deadmau5 uses Ableton. Like everyone uses it. Skrillex uses it. Like literally everyone, like everyone from, from the biggest of big producers down to the bedroom people who are torrenting the thing. Right. Uh, they're all using we all have access to the same tools right so it basically comes down to i think if you're not thinking a little bit outside the box and using these tools in weird interesting unique ways that you are inherently just going to sound like everybody else anyway but then if you then also you know then just go use um really popular project you know project file downloads and, and sample pack downloads and stuff like that that everyone else is also using you're you're just putting yourself more inside that that prison of going to sound like everybody else but here's the thing is i think there um 
the reason why so many people are trying to obtain this sound copy thing that like other people are doing and whatever's hot at the moment is just because there's such a like seemingly large reward for doing so. Right. Because you're like, all right, if X guy did Y thing and got X, Y, Z result. Yes. Then in your brain, it becomes like very much the same type of equation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, it's a super fallible fucking thought process and like very logical and and doesn't make much sense. But it's very easy, I think, to to just look at something that black and white and be like, oh, if I do X, then I will get Y. And yeah. I mean, that's a question, right? Like maybe that's going back to the beginning of what we just started talking about. Um, and I'm glad where this is going too, man. <laughs> I wasn't, nice. we are kind of like, I feel like this is a fresh conversation. Like we weren't, I don't know that we're talking about intrinsically the same. I think it's, we are talking intrinsically about the same stuff, but we're getting there in a different way. Uh, right, right. But that, that question of like, why are you making music? Um, like at different points in my life, I've had to like ask that same question, you know, and I see it with my friends too. And like people that we look up to, uh, I see it in their, in their work. I see it in their, like, you know, maybe some of it's projection. I think probably a lot of it's projection. Like when you look at what somebody else is doing, I think you kind of look for the things that you relate to in their lives and in their decision-making and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying like, at this point in my life, especially considering all the shit that's been going on with like, you know, first it was, I mean, I don't even know where to start, but there's been a cascading almost domino effect of just like tragedy in the news and mm-hmm. just, you know, it's, and it's gotten to the point now where it's like almost like everybody's being like grounded. Like it's like almost like detention, right? Everyone has to sit home and think about like what's going on in the world and like what's going on, like what, what, what your job is, like what the value is and the things that you do, how you. It reminds me of the game at school where the ground is lava and if you walk on it, you die. Yeah, there's some of that involved, definitely. Like, I mean, I was thinking about it today, looking at my feed. I'm like, damn, like, I, I, I mean, I don't know that I have anything to add. Like, I think it's covered. Like, mm-hmm. the world's fucked up, clearly, and everyone's you know, pounding on each other now uh, to kind of get the right take on what's going on. And it depends on who's saying it and how they're saying it. The world is just fractured. and um, But it kind of always has been, right? Like, I mean, we've historically dealt with plagues and we've historically dealt with like insane racism. It's just like now people are getting to this point of like, well, no, fuck this. This is like enough. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that seems to me what, we're going through similar stuff to what we always have gone through, but it's just, we're always trying to get to a better place with it. Right. Like it just kind of feels like that people go, I mean, it's the same kind of a thing that I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying, by the way, it's like, it's, I feel like the people in our own lives, we do the same kinds of things where it's like, we'll put up with, it's like out of sight, out of mind. Like, you know, there's some things that need to be fixed in the house. You're not really going to deal with it or, or, or like a, you know, something fucked up going on with your, I mean, we're talking about music. Like there's plenty of things going on in music world, plug-in wise, equipment wise, et cetera, that like, if I do this, it works. And I'm just going to keep doing this until it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> and then I'll figure out how to fix it, you know, and, or, you know, a plug-in just finally won't load up anymore or something like that. Uh, you you kind of like don't really deal with the problem until 
it stops you in your tracks. Uh, and then hopefully from there, you say, you know what? I'm never going to find myself in a position like this again. I'm never going to let a hard drive die on me again. You know, right, like right. erase fucking, you know, a year's worth of work, which has happened to me. Uh, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'll never do that again, you know? And sure enough, like fast forward, like five years, I'm doing it again, you know? And I, uh, I mean, I try not to do that, but I'm most certain if I were to like finger through everything, I don't have everything completely backed up right now. But mm-hmm. I digress. The point is, I feel like that people are that way, you know? It's like when you look about uh, like history in general, it's like, man, you know, we've been around on this planet for a long time and we've been doing a lot of bad shit. I mean, there's doing some good stuff too in there, but there's none of this is like an isolated incident, you know? Like this shit's been going on for a long time. And uh, I found myself more aware of what I personally am doing um, on a day-to-day basis. And even like the motivation behind the music itself, you know, like what am I writing songs about? Like, I mean, I'm thinking about people that, you know, they go along their daily routine of thinking about, okay, I need to make some music so I can uh, put it out and hopefully get a bunch of streams. So, I can make a little bit of cash and most importantly, like bolster my, my uh, profile so I can go out there and be on those stages and play music for kids. So I could be the man and fucking make more money. And I, I mean, like I can understand why that is appealing because fucking a man, that's been the motivation for me. My whole life is to just be a part of this party, you know? And like also on the, you know, creative side like i love the conversation of putting music out there and having it kind of be a force in the creative world you know like the same way that i listen to somebody's music i'm like fuck man how do you come up with that idea like i love the idea of contributing in that way too but you know in a time like this when you put it when you think about putting music out and you think about the time the the style of music that you're making and how you're making it all of those other elements seem so much more important you know Cause it's like, I, I was watching my feed. I, I hate to throw some people under the bus, but there's been some DJs that are like posting the most like kind of like tone deaf shit on the timeline. So it's like, you know, you're like scrolling down. It's like, you know, the fucking world, it's a nightmare. Like motherfuckers are, you know, dying from coronavirus. There's people wearing masks. There's, you know, people protesting out in the street. There's cops fucking people up. And then there's some fucking dumbass DJ like eating an ice cream cone, you know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why? I, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to post that, of course, but. No, but I mean, at a time like this, you really want to leave a medium so strong, such as social media open for talking about the problems at hand, right? Yeah. And it, it just, it highlights something else to me where I'm like, okay, this is like a blown out parody version of reality right now where, you know, I mean, you can't escape it right now, you know, like this is the, this is the conversation of the moment. And I, I really do hope that it continues forward, obviously, but there's like this, this extra level of self-awareness that you have to have, um, about what you're doing and how it affects other people. So it just puts your brain in this mode where you're like, okay, uh, well, well right now, I mean, if I'm making music in the studio, what am I making music about? There's no, there's no stage for me to stand on, you know? In, in, in a number of different ways, like literally and figuratively, like if I'm putting music out there, who does it benefit? You know, I mean, if I just stand out there and say like, yo, here's my new track, 
you know, it's fucking some really cool shit that I made. I hope you like it. Like, here's a link on Spotify. Uh, you know, I don't know that that's like particularly uh, um, irritating to people, but I don't I don't see people being interested in that. You know, it's like, OK, great. Good for you, man. You know, I mean, at the meantime, there's a lot of other people out here that have like bigger issues that are going on. You know, it just makes yeah, right. I, I, I was like, go back in the studio. I'm like, all right, well. That's off the table right now, you know, like for a number of different reasons. Making music in general or just making no, like music for, for the, the specific purpose of playing at shows and making bangers for the banger liking kids? Yes. You start like deconstructing that whole idea, right? Where you're like, okay. And, and then it's you- a pretty weird idea, I think, from both sides, because like from the artist side, it's like you've got these management teams who are essentially just egging you on to keep doing the same shit so right. you can it just becomes sort of like a cash cow for everyone involved at some point um and on the artist side it's kind of like you you buy into that sort of idea but it's almost like when that idea gets pulled away from you right like it's being pulled away from everyone right now um because of the coronavirus thing yeah it almost yeah it does make you sort of step back and think like all right well like what was the point of all of that <laughs> Why was I doing that? Yeah, you're nailing it, man. That's like, and then then there's, you know, I get frustrated. Uh, I try not to like let people have it on my Twitch stream or in Discord, but it does, I'm like, man, don't you see like you stupid kid, like this shit, like what, what kind of music are you trying to, like, why are you trying to make music? That's like the most important part. Like, and I understand now it's like, man, I, you gotta like, I've been around long enough to have had time to explore and, you know, kind of go down certain paths that didn't make me happy and didn't make me fulfilled. You know, I have to like allow people to live their lives and learn their own lessons, you know, but Mm -hmm. just that whole concept of like making the music, putting it out there to do what to, it's like that, uh, that song I do Coke that I did with Phoebe. It's like, I make a song so I can, you know, go and play it out there to make more songs to go out there and play it out there until what? Until the system cuts you off to where that's not really a thing anymore. And then it's like, okay, so now you find yourself back in the studio. Why are you going to make the music now? You know? And it's like, it's like that, that awkward moment between birth and death or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like, it just seems like a big way to pass the time. Right. It's like, yeah, doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the thing it's brought me back to is it's like, man, there was this other feeling of gratitude and excitement and fulfillment um, that I had when I was like first starting out, you know, when I was in the studio and the small rewards, like learning. I mean, like you're saying with the programming thing, like when you put together something that works, you know, even if it's just like, some stupid project like this week I, uh, I've, I've been, you know, my, my son's out of school, so I'm home a lot and I pulled out my old, uh, I have it right here actually in my hand. It's the Sony PCM D 50 like field recorder, which mm-hmm. it actually sounds great. Even it's, it's pretty old now. Uh, it's probably 10 years old, but I rec- I didn't have like a f- proper mic set up at home, but I use this instead to like record, uh, like multi, sample his little toy piano 
and turned that into like a little Ableton instrument and like spent probably way too long doing it. But <laughs> it's fun, you know, and sharing it with the Discord is fun and it's exciting and kids are showing me shit that they made and it's like this regardless, I mean, at some point it'd be great if like get paid to do stuff like this. But in the meantime, it's like I'm getting the same kind of like, you know, uh, reward, I would say. Like if you're, if I were to like reduce it down to like neurons firing in my brain and letting those chemicals that make me feel like I'm doing something important, I would say that it's like on the same level, if not more than playing some bangers out at some club, you know? Uh, right. It almost seems like that's a huge part of life, right? It's just like digging through tasks and shit to find out where the dopamine is. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty bleak perspective, but it's not wrong. You know, um, I, I, I've always kind of felt like that. If you think too hard about being a person, it's like you start realizing that it's not that you're not one, you know, you're just a bunch of, uh, a configuration of atoms, you know, just randomly kind of came together. Uh, have you ever, yeah. Speaking of like the state of being and shit like that, have you ever fucked around with meditation? Uh, yeah. Well, so, uh, well, okay. I no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, because, because I understand the concept and I have a lot of friends that are doing it. Uh, like Sammy LS dream, uh, mm -hmm. formerly known as Brills. He is like a huge advocate for the meditation thing. He actually does every Monday a meditation stream with his followers, which is kind of cool. Um, That's sick. Yeah, and I actually sat there and folded clothes a couple times and just listened to, like, just sat there and listened to the stream and kind of did my own form of meditation. I don't think that's meditation, though. That's why I say no, because what's described to me from friends of mine that, that are into, I guess there's, of course, various forms of meditation. I haven't, like, silenced my mind, so to speak, you know? Well, it's not about that, actually, at all. Okay. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, I've only been doing it for like a month, so I'm no like professional on the subject or anything. Okay. But from what I understand, um, it's just another way that you can sort of reduce the human experience down, right? Because like one, uh, like you were just saying, you can think about it from a state of just being a bunch of atoms and neurons firing and you know dopamine happening and all that kind of shit. Um, but with meditation, it's kind of like you just sit there with your state of being and everything that comes into it, so thoughts or even your field of vision yeah. or an emotional tinge that exists for you right now or um, you know, sounds or anything that you just try to appreciate them all as just um, things that are just coming into your field of consciousness, right? And just treat it all as like a, just sort of be with the state of being. And as soon as like any of it comes up, yeah, just rec recognize it for what it is, but also let it sort of pass, pass by a little bit. I mean, again, Dude. I'm like no... No expert there's, on this shit, but there's a. Uh, do you know who RZA is from Wu Tang? Uh, no. The RZA. I mean, I know who I know who Wu Tang is, but no, I, I'm not f not super familiar with the members. Bobby Digital, RZA. He's like the producer, kind of like uh, the. I don't. I don't even know what you'd call him. He's he does so many things. He's like a movie guy. He's like directed some films. He's act. He's an actor. He's uh, the, his biggest thing. I think in culture is being kind of like the head brain behind Wu-Tang Clan. Hmm. It's R-Z-A, RZA. Um, 
Anyway, long story short, he just put out like a meditation album. First song on the record's called Kill the Noise, which I fucking sampled the shit out of. Uh, oh, wow. And actually used a different program than the one that uh, you guys were, you guys made the video for that separates stems. Oh, Splitter. Yeah, Splitter. Uh, oh, yeah. I used a, a Phonic Mind. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it like a web-based one? It's a web-based one where you got to like pay okay. or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, but anyway, I, I took his vocals out and he's talking precisely about what you just said. He's talking about floating in space and you are a, I think, a, a planet and there's asteroids flying into your field of view and you acknowledge them and let them pass. Hmm. Fly, you know, and like, and, and then he starts talking. First, he's talking about like, um, you know, people, right? Like people that are like you're, you're at your office and there's drama and conflict in the office and starts kind of like relating those to like physical objects in space. And I guess kind of along lines, what you're talking about, like acknowledging that there's these irritants and annoyances or, you know, uh, things in your field that you are just accepting that they're there and letting it, letting that energy go and just kind of let those things be things that exist. It's not about trying to like cancel them out or fight against them or anything like that. That was the gist I got from this one song that I was sampling. I was like, ah, oh, fucking Riz is talking about some shit here. I mean, I wish I had the power to do that all the time. It's like, well, no one, no one does. But the problem is that like a lot of people don't try, right? Like it's very easy to, to not inspect your state of being because there's just so much shit to distract yourself with. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to just, I mean, I, I've just been using this app by this dude called Sam Harris. Okay. Who's like a, he also has a podcast and I think he's a neuroscientist. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's only, I've only been doing it for like 10 minutes a day or something, but it seems pretty, um, pretty beneficial to do. I don't know if you feel this way or not, but like one of the things that gets me into that, like kind of like flow state where you're like sound design, honestly, for me is very much kind of like one of those things. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the flow state is sort of different to, to this. Um, that's kind of more of, uh, well, I guess flow state is what you call it. Um, speaking of sound design sessions though, I can't really do them. And the reason why is because I start doing them and then I'm like, oh, this sound would work well in a beat like this and then just start making a tune. Well, the thing is, okay. So I, and it's one of those things that um, I think a lot of people might have a hard time understanding, especially when they're trying to watch a stream or watch a tutorial and get, they like, they like want to squeeze out like the juice from whatever it is that they're being presented with. Right. So it's like, okay, this fucking guy, he's got releases on some labels that I fuck with. He's like touring internationally. He's friends with, people out there that are doing big things. Like what does he have to say about sound design, you know? And then they click on the YouTube mm -hmm. video or whatever, and it's 20 minutes long. And they're like, Oh my God, like what the fuck? <laughs> Can't they make this shorter so I can just get to the goods? You know what I'm saying? Mm. Or, or yeah. who can condense this down? Let's skip through this and get to the good part or whatever, get to the part I need to know, like, where's the plugin that I need or whatever it might be. Um, but I, I, I just like, I don't know, like the, to, to me, the, I can sit and mess around with sounds for hours and then just go clo like close without, without fucking saving anything, you know? And I know that like 
It's like riding a skateboard. I mean, did you ever get into skateboarding? I didn't. But what it sounds like you're alluding to is like investing time in yourself rather than in the tangible sounds that you're making. Yeah. And it registers in your mind on like, I mean, you play video games, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, have you ever played Dark Souls? I have not. I've heard about it. I know Burial plays it. Uh, well, I mean, any game that's, you know, I, I wouldn't say that Dark Souls is actually particularly difficult, especially if you're in, if you're someone that's into making music, uh, because it's just about like being determined. And there's a, there's a method to the madness of what's going on. Every, everything's kind of like a puzzle at the end of the day. Um, but I feel like that it's like in so many cases I'll spend, you know, a, an entire day or an entire week or an entire month just fucking around in the studio. And then I'll, and then I'll sit down and write a song more or less in five hours. You know what I'm saying? Or I'll write, huh. or, or I'll come up with a genius idea, quote unquote, in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Um, but, right, right. but that was made, it's like that old, that saying of like, you know, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success or something like that. Right. I just kind of feel like that if you can get lost in the process, um, there's so many rewards there that are like kind of intangible things that actually at the end of the day, the only thing, the only, I mean, there's the camaraderie of other people that do things like that, you know, where it's like, right, right. It's kind of like, you're talking about like these peripheral tasks that kind of add to the, to the final product sort of thing. I had that experience recently, just organizing my samples folder for the first time ever. Yeah. Cause I had this like 500 gigabyte sample folder that I'd just been like building on for years. Uh huh. And it was just such a fucking mess. And I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to fully organize it. So I pulled apart all of my sample packs. Like there was sample packs in there from like Emperor and like Matthews and shit. Oh, shit. And I'd like pull them apart and like put all their kicks just in a kicks folder and then all their snares just in a snares folder and like basically compartmentalized every sample pack on my computer in this really organized way. And what I realized was there were so many samples I wasn't even using because like, for instance, all the Emperor kicks are named like evac 27.wave or something like it doesn't even have the word kick in the in the file right which means when i was hitting control f in ableton to search and just typing kick that would never come up right yeah um and then i i realized once i finished organizing all my samples and then tried to write a song i was able to write a song in like 30 minutes and i was like fuck that was way too easy yeah 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 but it's like to, to organize the samples took me like couple of weeks it seemed like so yeah it's the same kind of thing it's like so you, you sort of set yourself up for su success based on just fucking around in the studio i feel like on the flip side of that like okay so we're doing this challenge i hate to plug something i'm doing i no, go for it okay so we're doing this challenge in my uh discord and basically how it works is we we set up a dropbox everybody drops samples in there that they like doesn't matter what they are um but it's like a depository, right? And anyone in the in the Discord can drop shit in there. So we set a deadline. I went through and picked 10 samples out of this big, you know, folder and put them in a zip file and gave it to the community to say, okay, let's see what you can do with these 10 samples. And um, basically like, I didn't put a lot of stuff in there that is easily, but you know, it's like, I didn't put like the best kick drums in there. I didn't put the, actually there's only one loop and it's a, uh, like a superior drummer loop that one of the kids put together, this guy Dybbuk. Um, and you know, there's like a, there's like an 808, uh, kick in there. 
It's actually just a sustained note that has a little bit of pitch modulation or envelope on the attack. Um, so it's like, man, you don't have a lot of the conventional pieces to paint your picture with, you know, but you have some of the source, like kind of like raw materials, you know, to make some of the mm -hmm. shit with. Right. It's um, kind of like forcing out the process by giving them not enough to work with sort of thing. Yeah. It's just like, uh, there's, I kind of like meticulously went through and just found stuff that I was like, okay, this is a nice texture that I think people could use to make a bass sound with, whether they turn it into a wavetable or, you know, load it up into a sampler or use it as is, you know, and maybe put distortion on or something. Just tried to find things that were like versatile. I, you know, there's like a white noise thing. So in a different way, I think that when you get back to doing what you're doing, which is like organizing samples and all that kind of thing, you just start thinking about the source material, like, like the, the, the construct in your mind of what is and what isn't a kick is like way more kind of like open in, in, in your brain. You know, I mean, I, I noticed that I know you probably mess around with modular stuff too. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you create these like constructs in your mind, fucking around with soft sense where you're like, Oh, an LFO is like a, it's like a, like a, like a unit, like a distortion or something, you know, it's like this, like effect that I put on. But you realize when you start fucking around with modular, it's like, oh, I'm like using voltage. I'm like using, you know, like just speed of and frequency of energy to like, you know, move into this other circuit that like moves this other circuit. Now, all of a sudden, when you go back and like play with serum and stuff like that, you just have this like a so, so much more of like a nuanced understanding of what's going on. You don't need to design sounds you know, from the ground up, like using sine waves or some shit like that, you know, but right, right. Uh, it's just, you know, more of the context in which you're working, you know, and like, this is actually what I tell people when they ask me about the, um, the analog versus digital argument. I, I don't like necessarily think one sounds better than the other, but I think they're complementary in that way where learning one makes you think differently about the other. Yes. Yes, absolutely, man. Like, I mean, even like the thing we were talking about before where it's like, uh, you know, I can reduce my, my experience in life down to like, you know, electrons and fucking, you know, like all my, all my, all the input, all the things that I ever wanted to do was just my drive to survive and to propagate my species. You know, like mm, I never had, right. I like never had a, an original thought ever in my fucking life, you know? I mean, you can think you can think about life that way, right? What a fucking bleak way to look at this experience, you know? Um, but yeah, I feel like we kind of have like these governors and shit to sort of stop us from getting too bleak, though. <laughs> well, I, I think just kind of what you're talking about with the analog versus digital thing. It's like you know, it makes me super hum. It humbles me to acknowledge that take on on the on whatever it is, you know, like this very kind of like cut and dry stoic perspective on what's happening because then you can then you can say you know what but i choose to be like i choose to be um like to immer immerse myself in the play you know like i'm playing the part of a human i'm playing the part of whatever this song is asking for in the moment like a dubstep thing it's like okay cool like with this other profound kind of understanding of the tools i'm using i can get i can have fun with this shit you know like Right. It sounds like um, what you're saying is sort of 
like getting yourself out of the way of the process a little bit, which I feel like is um, quite often something that I've, I've been susceptible to it a lot. And I feel like a lot of people are susceptible to this is like overworking shit where you yeah. have a good idea and you'll be like, oh, this idea is so sick. But then you're like, but what if I could make it sicker? And then yeah. you just like do every possible EQ thing you can do to it and every possible edit you can do to it. Yeah. And eventually it just sounds overworked and it's kind of like lost the coolness of what it was in the first place. And then you go back to version one and you're like, oh, there's something cool about the rawness of this shit. Yeah. Um, Analysis paralysis. Oh, yeah. Option paralysis. Yeah. And also like the idea that like, okay, this is cool, but in what context, you know? And like, I, again, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Uh, it's hard to talk about this shit without like, you know, kind of like anecdotal experiences. Examples and shit. Yeah. yeah. I've been through where it's like, I mean, I've worked my ass off at periods of time in my life just to like get in the studio with certain people, you know, like I mm-hmm. like really try to, I really tried and I can't say that I don't do that. There's still people that I definitely idolize and look up to and would love to spend time with. But I remember being a lot younger and finding myself in the studio with people that I really admired and realized that they were looking to me to tell them what is cool, you know, which, mm-hmm. Hey, I don't know that it's happening so much these days, but, uh, it, there was a time for sure where that was happening a lot more and made me think about like, damn, that's like a, that like, what a, what a frustrating place to be. And I can't say that I've never been in that space where I'm looking around for some kind of context to where my ideas fit in and are valuable and feel like cutting edge or whatever. But like, it's, it's just crazy how that kind of motivation can really like, you know, throw you into that analysis paralysis situation where you're like, why am I making music? Who am I making this music for? Do they think it's cool? Am I trying too hard? Is cool not trying? Is cool like, you know, what is cool? What the fuck am I doing? Like, who am I? <laughs> Why am I doing this shit? You know, like maybe I should be doing, maybe I should fucking stop making music and do something else. You know, like it, it can go that like far. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that's ever with, happened with to you. The, oh yeah. It happens all the time. Um, <clears throat> generally I've found, especially through the quarantine stuff, I've found it a lot easier to not go to those places in my mind and i feel like it's got a lot to do with the fact that i'm just making music for myself at the moment yeah because there's not a lot of reason to make it for other people i mean at this point like you were saying earlier it'd be tone deaf anyway to just upload stuff um yo dude check out my new shit it's about fucking shit you know breaking the rail we should break the rail down at the white house maybe you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly um so i think i think that's a big part of like that that sort of mindset that you get stuck into right it's like what i'd call sort of that la mindset where everyone's sort of trying to buy it other shit and trying to like jump on whatever's cool at the time and well right whatever. now it's right now it's la mindset but it i feel like this this the city hub is genre dependent like uh actually you're uh are you from new zealand or australia i forget i'm from australia but i've been living in the states now for about six years okay that's right yeah yeah well, dude, one of my favorite stories is an Australian guy. So many of my favorite bands are fucking Australian guys. Oh, uh, yeah, like Carnival and shit like that? Like fucking Pendulum. <laughs> oh, yeah, Pendulum. Like, great. Uh, cut Copy. Well, and the guy I want to yeah. talk about is Kevin Parker from Tame Impala. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay, yeah. And he's from Perth, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And we're from, what city are you from again? Are you from Sydney? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was from Sydney. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. Well, there's plenty of great bands from Sydney too. But um, one of the things that uh, I love about this guy, Kevin Parker, is that like he came from that like indie rock scene that's like the kind of like psych rock, indie rock, like, they're trying to make records that Pitchfork's going to talk about. And like, you know, there's like, there's a whole aesthetic and there's a whole, I mean, it, it reminds me very much of like the sub sub genres of dance music, like bass music, you know, where there's these like really tiny, there's a way you do it, you know, and there's a cool way to do it. There's a cheesy way to do it. And he was doing it the cool way, right? Like this wave of psych rock bands. And then he got to a point in his career where he was like, you know what? I have all these other songs that I want to write and you know, it's, it's going to alienate a certain contingency of my audience if I do that, you know? So and that's when he wrote that record currents that became hugely successful and kind of, that's probably the, the main reason so many people know what that, who that band is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like literally the songs themselves kind of like narrate that process of him saying, fuck it. I can see this other future, but, um, you know, I mean, I don't know that much of that had to do with, with LA, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm a little, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a little defensive about like, I, I think it's maybe because so many kids moved to LA and they watched their, they watched their, I, I mean, it's kind of like me getting in the studio with certain people that I admired and realizing that nobody has the answers for me. I think that's what it's like moving to a big city. If you're not from one where you come, you come into the space and you're like, wait, damn, there's a lot of motherfuckers like me here. And they're all disillusioned now. That's the one thing about LA, right? Is I've, I've noticed about LA, um, when you go there, you can have two vastly different experiences dependent on who, you know, so for instance, um, the first few times I went there, I was like, fuck LA sucks. There's just a bunch of fake fucking idiots. Um, and then the, uh, preceding times I went, I kind of realized that it's just all the idiots are outside and all the people who are fucking doing cool shit are busy in studios. Well, so, uh, yeah, for sure. And, and, and actually like, you know, that thought process, uh, we were talking about earlier where it's like, why am, why am I making music? I can't go play my music loud in a club for a bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're not all idiots. <laughs> But some of them are idiots. Uh, not no idiots, but like you know, there's this, this, <laughs> there's there's a lot of like fake kind of people in LA, right? Who are, well, I'm just saying worldwide. Just, I mean, there's fucking morons worldwide that are coming to the show. They don't right. give a fuck, dude. You know, some of them do. Like, I, man, I'm grateful to have what I would call like a really, um, you know, core fan base that I love and I I like feel the love back. Um, but I got no distortions of the truth. You know, it's like. A lot of people that listen to dance music in general, and particularly like, I think the more accessible your music is, the more fair weather fans you have. And, and man, honestly, I've seen it in so many ways with all the shit going on with like, you know, Twitter and, you know, Instagram and Facebook. Like the second you start talking about shit that matters, which I have kind of always done to some degree, um, it pisses people off because they're like, we didn't sign up for this shit. We signed up for this lifestyle of going to fucking clubs and you know, getting fucked up and listening to some music or maybe not even getting fucked up, but just, this is an escape from reality, you know? But to mm-hmm. me, it's like, dude, this is my, fu- this is my fucking life. You know, I've been doing this shit 
now at this age, I'm 39. I've been doing music for longer than I haven't, you know, as a living <laughs> creature. So right, right. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. You started listening to this shit a year ago. Good. Unfollow me. I don't give a fuck, you know? Right, right. Go listen. To, well, I don't even know what you're going to listen to or somebody's not going to talk about what's going on, you know? I mean, maybe you can go listen to some fucking white supremacist band or some shit. I don't know. You know what I mean? They're just going to be talking about their own political agendas and shit. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's no way to escape it. You can just bury your hand in, head in the sand. We'll dig you out in 10 years or something. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, um, but anyway, well, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just getting triggered now. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess the, the point is, is that like this idea that there's, I, I think there's an exterior to every scene. There's an exterior to every, like if you want to get in the film industry, if you want to get into the video game industry, if you want to get into the fucking, you know, NASCAR racing industry, there's going to be a layer of fucking people sucking each other's dicks and jerking each other off and not really doing any racing, you know what I'm saying? Or not mm. doing any real painting or not doing any real music. They're not doing any real filmmaking. They're not doing any real anything. They're just jerking each other off, you know? And guess what? Yeah, they're just sort of middlemaning and like adding these layers into the industry that don't really need to be there just because they want to feel a part of it or whatever. I mean, well, I was just going to say even, even more, you know, bleak reality is that that's how the world fucking works, man. You know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, I, one of the things that's become clear in this like pandemic thing and some of the um, posts that people have made, like, you know, the record labels, for example, like they're not going to fucking, they, the only reason they started uh, given these huge donations of like, you know, $100 million I saw uh, in one instance is because of all the pressure, man. Like, it's like, damn, we can like literally the same way that people are trying to like flip the table over on the police. Oh man, the record industry's got, got to come in. All of these fuckers got to come in for them, you know, like, it's it's brewing too because artists can't go out on tour and make money where that's like the last space where artists have like a you know like a decent income revenue stream kind of thing everything is in an effort to get out on the road yeah and play and make cash right right because totally, yeah and that's uh i think it was tipper's manager told me once that like also every show you play once you are out on the road is just a business card for another show yes because it's like, you don't know who the fuck is in the audience watching and stuff like that. Yes. But it's like, what? Okay. So yeah. And the other, so the, the other side of that is it's like, okay, so where the fuck is all this, all, the, all this other money going? You know, like it's to all these guys in the middle. And like, I, I feel like that, like, you know, if you're the type of person, I'm not trying to say that every manager is bad or every label guy is bad or every, you know, promoter, whoever, whatever kind of middle people we're talking about between the art and the audience. Um, but I would say a lot of it is not necessary, you know? And I, you know, when you come into a major city and there's a lot of excitement around, that's, that's the first thing you're going to see is all these like fucking buzzards, you know, like flying around trying to get up in the mix around something, you know? Um, and you know, I mean, that's, ex I, I have to admit that's exciting too, you know? Like just the, the commotion around stuff going on, you know, like when it comes to, you know, making things, I, I, it's like a weird, you know, it's like, what, like, I, th I just think about like fucking uh, like 80s rockers and stuff like Motley Crue and fucking 
just the rock star lifestyle. And it involves just like the kind of um, the spectacle of whatever it is that you're, you know, I mean, like I'm just imagining dance music without the spectacle of the, the festival scene, you know, without the spectacle of all the bells and whistles that makes it interesting. If it was just a bunch of nerds in Ableton in their bedrooms, I've been there, you know, like fucking most. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of how electronic music started, right? I feel like most um, of my career was that, dude. I was like literally yeah, right. making, you know, I mean, back, back when I met you, right? Like, oh, dude, yeah, when we met in Sydney and, and you played that show, it was like, it was an E1 and Spore show and there was like, what, like a hundred people there or less, maybe? Yeah. Was, like, and, not, and man, not a big show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were fucking. I mean, we, I mean, we were just in awe that we were in a different country, you know, we, neither of us had yeah, ever right. been to Australia and it was like a, it was a culture shock for both of us. I think it was more surreal for John because it's like you, it's like your heritage is more like feels more, uh, you know, connected to him than America, than America. I mean, we're all right, from the same place, British, right? Yeah. He's British. Yeah. So you come to Australia and it's like this really surreal I mean, it must be the same for you when you went to, I'm assuming you went over to England, right? Yeah, I've been to London. I mean, what's that like being over there as an Australian? It's kind of like just bigger, well, not better, but it's it's just like, yeah, Australia. Yeah, you definitely can feel the origins of it for sure. Anyway, I remember that experience because for me, it was like, I'm like American guy hanging out with a British guy in Australia. It was all very (laughs) like culture shock, you know? Um, Right. But anyway, long story short, uh, yeah, it's like nerds you know, couch surfing across the world, playing for nerds, nerdy music. And, and even people in the crowd are like probably better producers than me. And it's in a lot of cases, you know what I'm saying? It's I, like, I don't know if that was the case at that time. Cause it was sort of at that time to be as good as you were at that time was fucking tough because there wasn't like a lot of, I mean, YouTube tutorials were not a thing, which has made it super accessible now for people to get good at production. Yeah. And also um, just the knowledge of like how even to do it, it wasn't readily available. It's kind of like now it's almost common knowledge for just the lay person to be like, oh yeah, electronic music, it's made on Ableton. (laughs) It's like back in the day, you were just sort of like, how the fuck is this? Do you remember even certain things like that we all take for granted? Do you remember like... When Pendulum, I'm thinking there's a couple tunes in particular that were like kind of right before Hold Your Color came out that I was like. Uh, Was it like the ABC News remix and stuff? I can't remember, man. I just remember there was this period of time where everybody's like, now all of a sudden, if because drum and bass in general was so separated in a lot of regards to the production techniques of guys making trance music, for example, or, or some of these other things. It was like literally like most everything was made, I would think, by running stuff pretty hot through like mixing desks right. and shit mm-hmm. like that. Um, but this idea, this concept of like side chaining drums, even something that simple was like a revelation. Like if you listen to drum and bass by and large, it sounded intrinsically different when Rob engineering came into the game you know uh right he was like the side chain introducer guy yeah i kind of feel like that it like it made a massive difference in the way that things sound right like huh. and i'm not saying that nobody else was doing stuff like that but not to that degree like everything that it was like you're getting hit by a whole bunch of really high level uh like you know 
music musical abilities. It was like his songwriting, his engineering, uh, just the way he structured stuff. Like, I mean, he was singing on a lot of his things. Um, so it was like, just this like really, I, I mean, everything kind of paled in comparison in that moment. But to your point, it's like a lot of these little pieces that have come together. I mean, another one's like Skrillex, right? Like him with, I mean, Massive was out on the market for fucking years before people realized what you could do with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, didn't he end up coming out saying that all of the sounds on Scary Monsters was mostly FM8 though? I mean, it could be. I don't fucking know. I, uh, regardless, it sounds like you can do it pretty closely with Massive either way. I think in the end, uh, regardless if it was all Massive or FM8 or whatever, uh, I think just like the potential that people were like, holy shit, you can really get some sounds out of Wavetable synths or, mm. you know, making stuff that sounds, has those kinds of textures and using those kinds of techniques with filters and stuff to make growly bass noises. I'm just saying all these techniques, we all take them for granted now because somebody showed it to everybody, you know? Right, right, yeah. Do you think that kind of, uh, you know, how like at the time Rob figured out all this stuff and then Sonny figured out all this stuff, do you think there's still like, you know, something that's going to happen in electronic music in the coming years where somebody sort of figures out a ton of shit like that and then all of a sudden everyone levels up? Yes. Yeah, man, because I think that um, I mean, I, I guess Serum was like another sort of big stepping stone, right? Like the release of that really changed shit a, a lot as well. Yeah, I think that, that, well, Serum definitely like in this in sense of like the accessibility of those ideas, like it all of a sudden became pretty easy to do all that stuff, you know? Um, not to say that you couldn't do a lot of those things in Massive, but it just felt, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe Virtual Riot had something to do with that too. He was like, I'm going to open up the synth and just show you how to do this exactly. You know, um, mm. I think that that shouldn't be underestimated, man. That that kid and that synth together, I think, like really sculpted an entire generation of people. You know, that's kind of like post Skrillex dubstep, right? Um, yeah, I'd agree. I think the the biggest uh, thing that I took away from Valentin's process and most dubstep processes in general is that it has almost nothing to do with like the um the sound source that you're putting into the, the to the effects chain right it's, it's almost like you could um once you have your effects chain made you could put any wavetable and any sort of modulation and any sort of imp, like you could just be a snare input yep. into like a series of fucking resonators and shit yep and out the other end you still get <laughs> for the most part the exact same dubstep sound that you have oh yeah and i i think that was like one of the big things about um valentin's process that i noticed yeah and that, um, and racks like you know not just serum but like creating ableton racks that do just what you said, you know, it's like, here's a, you know, you can like literally put like a fucking, I, I actually like, do you remember, uh, did you ever see that GDC thing with, uh, uh, Mick Gordon, Mick Gordon. Yeah. Where he's like yeah, created yeah. the doom machine or whatever. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's really like the, uh, that's become like a kind of staple in modern production is like make a crazy chain that does something really extreme to a sound. Uh, and lots of compression. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be different, actually, something I thought was really interesting, going back to the sidechain thing, I remember talking, I forget who it was I was talking to, but they were talking about um, Porter's virtual self project. And if you listen to it, uh, I mean, there might be what appears to be some songs that have sidechain on them, but I, I, I don't think it's used much, or if it is, 
not in the conventional kind of a way that you'd expect in like a dance tune. There's a lot of stuff that feels kind of untouched in that way. You know, it's like the production feels retro in that sense. It's like if you were to just remove modern production techniques from a song, it instantly sounds different. You know, like if you were, if you just make a song and say, all right, I'm not going to use sidechain. I'm going to find other ways to think about the mixing here and like move things out of the way with EQs or, you know, just simply chop things out when they're not supposed to be there. It's going to sound different, you know? And to me, like some of those uh, approaches to writing music, that that's what's going to be kind of like what you're saying, this, this like moment where people go, oh shit. Uh, yeah, that stuff sounds like it was made in like the early 20s or, or 2000s, you know, like 20, 2000 to 2020. There's like a whole space where dance music kind of sounded a certain way. And now, you know, there's retro things that still sound that way. Like there's, there's like throwback stuff that sounds like the dance records that we all are always going to be in style, like, you know, Daft Punk and all that kind of shit. But in terms of like avant-garde, like forward thinking electronic music, like I think it's just going to be like, all right, well now, you know, we're not going to use sidechain as just like a, a given in a track, right? Or I, I'm not going to just throw multiband compression on everything. I'm not just going to, you know, do some of these things that are kind of like the way of the times, like someone in a naive kind of a way, I think might open up some of the tech. I mean, dude, even things like that, um, the splitter thing, like, one of the things I noticed about some of that kind of technology that likes like I, uh, isolates things, and I don't know if it's the same kind of technology that is used for uh, like uh, like Gullfoss and all that kind of shit, like Soothe and everything. Oh uh, yeah, no, that Gullfoss fuck did that company has um, something called Lossy, right? Which basically makes shit sound like MP3s. Yeah, yeah. Well, this I. Like there's something to me about the idea of using software that's designed to do one thing, like isolate things and finding ways to exploit that to create sounds, you know, and Mm -hmm. like in a similar way with any other kind of like signal processing, it's like, I mean, back in the day, people made guitar pedals to put on guitars, you know, and then people started putting them on synths and then people started running drums through them, you know, like, I mean, I, I mean, literally every rack that i see these days made in ableton it's like i mean why would you i mean it's like people are intentionally doing things that you you would learn in school you just you're not supposed to do that you know like i'm going to put reverb and delay on fucking bass noises and shit you know right right yeah i mean that's kind of like the whole premise behind rhythm at this point right yeah well but but it's like so yeah to me it's like okay well how are you supposed to do it okay here's how you do it here's how you do it some fucking you know, annoying kid on YouTube told me this is how this, how to make this kind of music. Well, someone's going to come along and be like, I don't want to fucking make music like some annoying kid on fucking YouTube. I want to make music that feels exciting and raw and wrong in a way that feels good. You know, <laughs> like, so that's to me what the, what, whatever the next sound's going to be, it's always going to, it's always going to come down to that, you know, like just something that feels, I mean, dude, you could see it like, again, you want to reduce it down to like the, at the atomic level, you know? It's like, look at this trends, man. It's like things go to wall of sound and then just, you know, it'll, then it'll, then the next big record will be something super minimal, you know? Right. It's kind of like with Skrillex, it almost felt like the next big thing to come out was Flume, right? Which is sort of like um, the polar opposite almost. It's like this very melodic feel good stuff. 
versus this like very mechanical transformery sounding stuff. Right now, it's really interesting because it's like now, the in an effort to get you know, it's like you got the like sonically. I'm just talking about, I guess like what what, what would be called like kind of like mainstream bass music or whatever EDM cry banging, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like melodic dubstep, yeah. whatever the fuck you want to call like. It's like, all right, well, well, one song that's aggressive isn't enough. And one song that's kind of like emotional or melodic, like I hate everything's music is melodic, right? I don't know why they fixate on calling something with super saws in it and like a lead on it melodic versus a dubstep. They're both melodic, right? But anyway, I digress. Something that's kind of more emotional, I suppose, that's not enough to move the needle. So now you got to like smash them together into one song. And I, and I think now it's like, that's not even enough to move the needle, really. Um, and to me, it's like, okay, so that track Polyrhythm comes out and look how much that moved the rit- needle. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. And it was basically just rhythm with an extra bar stapled to the end of every sequence. Yeah. I mean, it's just some kid that was just like, I don't know. This is fucking cool. <laughs> Boom. I'm going to put this out here. And actually, like the more people that got upset about it, the more I started to like it, you know? And like my, my, my fr- the, the more that I like when I first heard it, like one of my friends uh, put it in our chat, I was like, oh, my God, of course, fucking these fucking millennials are at it again. What the fuck is this shit? You know, <laughs> then I went on the Internet and it was funny how it changed my opinion. I saw so many people that were like call like had the exact reaction I did. Um, and I was like, oh, OK, well, I almost kind of like made me see myself from the third person, you know, like third person perspective. Mm. I was like, man, they're not, they're not even giving it a chance. Like all of a sudden I was defending it. I was like, <laughs> I want to go back and listen to that again. Is it really that bad? The more I listened to, it, I was like, man. And then I saw, and you know what? Then I saw a video of two kids in a car, uh, fucking like going crazy to it. And I was like, oh man, this is sick. Like <laughs> I fucking love this shit. Like, I mean, yeah, of course. Like, I mean, what are you going to put out in the car at this moment? That's different and crazy. And it's like, like I just think about when I was a kid, I was driving around in the car and I wanted to piss everybody off. I would put on like fucking Cannibal Corpse or some shit. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, Metallica wasn't enough to piss people off, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say they kind of just get used to it. I mean, Metallica was sort of like eventually just in some way became pop music. Metal- yeah, but in the in the the irony is is that in their generation when they were first coming out in the scene, people treated them like I'm not and I also I'm not trying to equate polyrhythm to metallica by the way i'm just saying that <laughs> it has the same sort of like initial punk rock kind of vibe and reaction from people yeah, yeah, yeah it's like fuck you guys i made this shit in my garage and if you don't like it good this isn't for you get the right, fuck out right. of here you know what I mean? and like and, and i love that that is a cool value i think for yeah that, 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 that is a good value i think for some music to have right yeah i guess you know different strokes different folks and also Clearly, you know, it's like different moods. I like wake up in the morning, listen to polyrhythm, and I'm like, fucking, I can't listen to this shit. What the fuck is this? Kids don't know what the fuck they're making these days. And then by the end of the day, I'm like, this is my shit. Like, I actually even like had him on the stream. Uh, I was talking to him on the stream about the tune. Just tr- trying to get in his head. You know, it's never that complicated for a kid, though. You know, it's like they're not thinking about, I mean, I'm not saying all kids, but I mean, I don't think that. You know, there's that much to it. I just think about the tunes I was making when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, you know? Well, at that age, it's it's almost like life feels like it has a giant safety net attached to it too because you kind of have your parents looking after you and all that sort of shit. So you're just like 
there's this whole factor of like I don't really have to um, you know defend myself in the eyes of the government and I don't have to pay taxes I don't if I get sick you know my parents will take me to the hospital everything will be fine like there's just like all of these life has like a you know giant safety net and you're sort of on autopilot a little bit because you're just like oh what do I do I just fucking go to school come home write, write some shit down you know it's like everything seems a little bit I think life's a lot different when when you have that mentality and also I think um being in self-isolation has brought back a bunch of that mentality for some people obviously it's it's the opposite for a lot of people who have lost their jobs and stuff like that but I think yeah in particular like the yeah that's what when you're talking about millennials doing their shit that's kind of perhaps where they're coming from with it a little bit just uh, just out of curiosity what what did you talk about with uh Matt when you guys were talking oh we talked about a bunch of shit uh what what we actually talked about a lot was um contrast in music and how you can liken music to art like visual art yeah 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 he's got some interesting views on that stuff for sure like he he was talking about some for instance one thing he said that i still haven't implemented yet in my own music but want to is how there's just these weird like and and we can almost wrap this conversation right back to the start when you're talking about sort of people downloading project files and and looking at other people's project files to learn from and stuff like that and i think that that's a great way to learn like if you download a project file from cymatics and stuff it's it's a great way to to get information um but you can also like develop this learning stubbornness right where like you were saying before like it's it's almost like side chain on every track is a given and you know you'll cut the the low frequencies out of every element except for your sub and stuff like that and always your bass will always be mono and everything else will be stereo it's like you kind of build up these sort of just predispositions to how shit should be and and it can't be any other way right um or at least you don't sort of allow your brain to think of stuff in in other ways and matt um actually said he's heard a few tracks before where it's sort of like all the top end from like 500 hertz up is just all mono and then all the low end from 500 down is very stereo and I was like, oh, it's super interesting. I've never really thought to do that. And, and it, it was just, you know, part of that learning stubbornness. But I think it's kind of like you get to a level of maturity with production, perhaps where you allow yourself to think in these more complicated and abstract and contrasting ways. Right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you listen to, uh, are you a David Bowie fan at all? Not particularly. I mean, I've watched um, a movie about him, I think, and listened to like a few songs. Well, like his music became more and more kind of a meta as he got older <clears throat> it's like he wrote everything from like let's dance to i mean a lot you know fucking fame all these like really iconic hits that are definitely were pop hits of those eras and then it's like as he got older kind of to the point you're making it's like your uh barometer for ideas gets kind of attenuated and i think it becomes way more like self-referential you know and like you know, you start doing things kind of like what you're saying and what Matt was talking about, where it's like, you know, I'm like, I've been looking at the world through this one lens for 30 years, you know, like what other lenses are there to see reality through? And especially something I spend so much time doing, which is making music, right? It's like, mm. I mean, there's only so many times you can go and, you know, reach for the same brushes and the same color palette, right? Before you start thinking, man, there's, you know, what else can I do with, with this stuff? I guess one of the things I'm trying to wrap my head around through streaming and through doing stuff like this, uh, which, you know, I appreciate talking to you, man. It's like, goes both, like, it does something to me psychologically 
talking through all this stuff with people, especially people that I don't talk to all the time. I talk to Matt all the fucking time about all this kind of shit. Right, right. That's all we do sometimes. And actually, like, that's one of the things that I think people um, might need some reassurance about uh, is that being in the studio, being a musician, making music and stuff, like, at the end of the day, it's like part of just trying to understand who you are, you know, and your life. And Oh, it's a huge part of it, man. I've actually had this thought before a lot, which is like, do you think some part of why people get big is just because at their core, they're like a fairly likable person and that kind of just emanates through their music and just their persona and everything and all of that kind of stuff. I, I think about that a lot too. Like are those two things perhaps related? Maybe, you know, that's a whole other thing, but again, like that would be a whole other fucking podcast, but just because of, uh, like I said, man, it's like you have these moments in your life where you end up, in these places with people that you thought you'd never get to meet, you know? And I think that depending on what level you personally are engaged in the kinds of things you're going on, going on in your life. Like I, I've, one of the things I've realized is that like, I think it depends, but I would say more than not a lot of people that are into the idea of being out there on a stage, playing their music for a big crowd of people. And it kind of becomes one of the biggest driving forces behind what they're doing. I think maybe you're right. Maybe on some, on some level, they are a charismatic person that enjoys and is kind of like set up from like a biological, physiological level to interact with people and get that like dopamine hit more easily perhaps than others, like just by the way that they're wired and the way that they look or whatever it might be. But I also think that there's a, on a psychological level, the way that people grow up. And I think honestly, man, a lot of people are like just looking for validation. They're looking for love. They're looking for admiration. They're looking for people to give a shit. They're, they're, they're looking, uh, they're looking for the dopamine. They're looking for the dopamine. Yeah. They're looking to think they're looking to, you know, be able to go to sleep at night and say like, man, the shit that I'm doing matters, you know, to people. Mm-hmm. And like, and I, and man, I think that's like the more time you've spent, in your life with that void, I think, and, and, you know, to varying degrees, I think that you might chase after that more feverishly than others, you know, like, for example, if you're the kind of person that's pretty content being at home, hanging out in the studio, working on shit, you know, and then playing video games and, you know, calling it a day, maybe the idea of going out in the public to play some of this shit for people, maybe it's just not, Maybe you get those buttons pushed at home, you know, with the things that you're doing, you know, like, right, right. I actually know a few people like that. Do you know, um, have you ever heard of Vorso? That sounds familiar. He's, he does a lot of collabs with this other guy called Clockvice, but, um, yeah, he's like that. He's a, uh, another computer programmer and he's fucking amazing dubstep producer. And a lot of, I hear a lot of his stuff played out by huge people like and shit like that. But yeah, he's very much a just like he's quite happy just just doing that, just sitting at home making bangers and uh, programming. That's and- awesome, man. I, the older I get, the more I feel that way. I, I for mm-hmm. sure, when I was a kid, and I think a lot of people, it's like your mo- your motivation to write music is like I'll fucking show them. Well, there's some for sure, but there's also some like financial stuff going on there too, right? It's like 
um, especially if you're an artist who sets up your income streams via shows, then you almost like you put yourself into this position of having to be on the road almost like six months a year. I mean, it's like for me, it was like the perfectly balanced machine to. It's almost like the time you're on the road, like buys your time at home sort of. Well, just the way that I was feeling for most of my life, I could just focus that energy into having a career doing music Mm -hmm. shit, which didn't resemble a career at all until, you know, relatively recently, I think, until I was almost 30 years old, you know, and I'd been doing Mm -hmm. it for almost, I mean, I started writing music when I turned 20, like 1920, I started making stuff. So I'd only been doing it for 10 years, but I was like a man (laughs) at that point, you know, Um, but I was focusing my energy. I was fucking pissed off about a lot of shit. And I also think that like being an American making drum and bass, like you were constantly in a position where you were looked at as like a, like, like almost like kind of like Pepsi versus Coke. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, and, and with that being said too, it's like, I was like a generation behind guys like Hive and Gridlock and like all these fucking guys that were just fucking, they, they paved the way and diesel boy, like, And there's a bunch of others too. I can't name them all, but a lot of people that paved the way for us. So it was like, if anybody was going to give any respect to anybody in America making music, it was going to be those guys, you know? So I was just like a bunch of dudes with a lot to prove, you know? And um, yeah, I don't know. Part of it was legitimizing by legitimizing my choices by, okay, if I get paid doing this, then that means that it's like a legit thing. I'm sure there's like a whole bunch of people out there that listen to your show and all that kind of stuff. They're thinking this, they're probably like, yep. Like, you know, I, they're, they're, I just remember what it was like being a kid and like being like, fuck, you know, there's like, if you're a dude, there's like, you know, are girls going to take me seriously? Are my parents going to take me seriously? Are my, you know, teachers going to take me seriously? Like fuck school. I want to do this shit. Like, yeah, so I feel like there was this old view on electronic music and it's phased out at this point. Um, so maybe kids aren't feeling necessarily that way anymore. But I, I understand exactly what you mean because I started quite a long time ago at this point now as well, like probably 15 years ago or so. Um, yeah. And when I when I first started, electronic music was a fucking joke, man. Like yeah. I was I was into like Aphex and Square Pusher and um, Venetian Snares and oh, yeah. the, the Flashbulb and all that shit. So I was trying to make that stuff. And a lot of people were just like, what is this goofy fucking Mario Kart Gran Turismo sounding shit? They're like, yeah. you should you should be making rock music with your brother, you know? <laughs> and I was always like, oh no, I kind of like this electronic music thing, and it just wasn't taken so seriously. But but now it's like electronic music is the main thing. I mean, it's like everyone just accepts it as being just a totally viable, cool style or whatever. Um, and I think more so the way kids might be feeling these days is sort of like there's too much noise and how do you cut through it all? How do you kill the noise? I'm just kidding. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, what are, <laughs> it's actually funny. I um I asked my Discord server. I was like, oh, I'm gonna have kill the noise on. Uh, is there anything you wanna you wanna ask him? And somebody was like, Yeah, what is, ask him? What has the noise done to him? <laughs> well, you just said it, man. You said it. You said what the noise did to me. It fucking it's distracting me, you know, like people mm. telling you that things are a certain way, you know, and I think, and I see it a different way. Right. So, and you know, I mean, what's, we can just say, we can just leave it there. Right. Like where it's like, 
yeah, kill the noise. Like fucking, you got to cut through the noise. You got to push it out of the way of what you want to do with your life. And I, I think it was you that tweeted, um, and I think it was maybe in relation to Alon Moore. Uh, I think you said something along the lines of um, if you're just making sick shit, people will go to the moon to find it or something like that. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if I, I don't know if that was a direct phrase or par- if you're paraphrasing or what, but it was, yeah, paraphrasing, I'm sure. But I, was something I agree along with the that. Lines of if you just, yeah, I agree with it too. I think like if you just ignore a lot of the bullshit and the sound copying shit that's around you and you just do your own thing and you do it very well, um, on some level, you'll, be recognized for that whether yes. it's by a hundred thousand people or whether it's by 20 people it, it doesn't matter you'll be at least recognized for for doing like an honest thing to you for yourself i also think that like in, in the especially in the culture that we're in now like people are rewarded for sharing intrinsic intrinsically interesting content mm-hmm. so i mean i just know myself like if i hear something that's like undeniably sick I'm not going to go out of my way to block it, you know? I mean, that's a great way to, or, or you know, not share it. Like, and actually this leads to uh, like the, the value in like streaming, you know, and like showing people your process. Like if you could keep that space flowing with ideas and, you know, you, you have a, a nice circle. I mean, everyone's got a circle of friends that you share music with and you're like, yo, have you heard this fucking guy? Or, you know, have you heard this singer? Have you heard this girl? Like, I mean, I have a plenty of circles of friends that we're always doing that with film, all kinds of things. Um, you know, I, I think that there's like built-in incentive for people to share stuff that's fucking incredible, even if it is outside of your uh, like wheelhouse. Like if, you know, I hear tunes all the time. I, I guess that Elon Moore thing is a good example. It's like, I wouldn't play that, but almost everyone that likes the music that I make and all my friends definitely would love to hear that, you know, and just be like, oh, Holy totally. shit. Yeah. It's a different thing. Right. I mean, like this, this, a lot of people, well, it depends why you make a music. If you're trying to make music to play at a club, obviously there's known shit to work at a club. It's stuff that sort of, uh, and this, I also said this to Matt. So, um, we like stuff that's generally in four, four because of, I believe walking, um, you know, it's linked to our, bodily function like one two one two that's how our legs work so that's why we're like one two shit or four four shit um and that's how dancing works too so it's like stuff that's easy to dance to based on like the mechanisms we physically are are bound to or at least most people are physically bound to hopefully um and i think that stuff like alon stuff which is more challenging to dance to probably and, and more challenging to listen to in general it generally seems to do well on like experimental Spotify yeah. playlists and stuff like that, like brain food or whatever. Yeah, man. Like I, generally speaking, like we were talking about this shit the other day. Uh, I was talking about it with Lee must die. We were talking about just different periods of time in kind of popular electronic music and uh, kind of also connected to what you're saying about now, just the concept of making music on your computer and putting it on the internet and then going and playing it live to some degree, even if it's left field at this point, that's like a pretty normal idea now, you know? Um, but I think now more than ever, it feels way open, you know, like it kind of feels like we're progressing into a space where like, if you would have told me that like, you know, I I saw a video 
this year of, well, even those like online streams of like G Jones live with his audio visual experience and shades and all that kind of stuff. Like if you would have told me that this, like if you saw, showed me a video of 2020 with all this stuff going on back in like 2010, I'd be like, no way, you know, like that's like one of the more popular, exciting ideas at the moment, you know? Um, like to me, a lot of that stuff, you know, reminds you like a lot of things you were talking about earlier, like square pusher and all that, particularly square pusher. Like I saw him play in Japan, like maybe five years ago. Uh, and it was fucking crazy audio visual experience that was, I mean, talk about time signatures, like the polyrhythm thing. Like oh, yeah, he's, he's a jazz guy. So that makes sense. Oh man. Like, I mean, you can't even, there is, there was rarely points where there was like a discernible phrasing or right, groove, you know? Yeah. That's totally not why you go to a square pusher show though. And I, I also right. think that he's, you know, very carefully fostered a certain fan base that would want to Absolutely. go see him specifically not to dance and stuff like that. Right, um, right, right. I think a lot of that stuff though, what what's appealing to it um, about it for me is that it, it just sounds like it's made via a fulfilling process that that they enjoy right it's it's right you can you can tell fucking what's his name tom jenkinson uh you can tell mm -hmm. he's like he's not sitting down and going like all right how do i make the next club banger <laughs> right you know he, he's sitting down going like i'm a jazz guy that's what i'm good at i also you know pioneered and was at the forefront of like a lot of these forward thinking ways of making glitch music and stuff like that is probably somewhat a, you know, savvy programmer with like pure data and max and shit. So these guys, there's, it's just a, I think it's just a fulfilling thing for them to just sit down and make, you know, cool shit just with the tools available. And probably I would imagine, and I, I don't know, I can't really say for sure, but I mean, I would imagine they probably just look at this other thing, like of everyone trying to do these sound copy bangers and shit, if they even bother to look at it all and just think it's like a weird waste of time, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be, I guess it's like through a, through the looking glass thing, you know, like that I'm sure everybody that's looking at the idea. I mean, I was saying it before, even like the, the, uh, I was saying it before on the stream, like, spending an hour or two hours or longer just tweaking a sound. It's like, I can imagine there's certain people that are coming into making dance music or have been making dance music. They're like, man, what a waste of fucking time, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah, just go use this sample, man. Yeah, or it's like, yo, it's not about the texture of the sounds. It's about the, the idea. It's about, you know, like the, you know, what is the song trying to say? Also just the process, right? I can just like, so a lot of people get stuck, right? I'm making music and they're just kind of like, uh, oh, you know, I keep making these loops and then I'm just like, fuck it. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe you need to switch your process to like a more inspiring process. And if spending an hour on a song to make your kick drum, which maybe isn't even as good as a cymatics one, makes you feel more engaged and more uh, connected to the piece of music you're working on and allows you to get further than just making a loop, then that's enough reason right there for sure. Yeah. I, I also think that it's just like, man, at some point, probably sooner than you know, uh, you're just going to fucking die. You know, like you're, they're going to take your body and just throw it in a fucking hole and it's going to be over with. And all the things that you tried to achieve in your life, like, did you enjoy doing it? Like, was it fun? Was it, you know, I mean, do, did you only feel good about it because some fucking guy you don't even know gave you a pat on the back about it, you know, or did you enjoy it? Did you learn some shit? Did you share some, 
you know, legit moments with other people making things together. Uh, you know, did you get a chance to travel around with your friends? Like, even if it's just around, you know, the block, you know, playing punk bars or something in your, in your neighborhood or something like, I mean, that's what it's about, right? Not just checking the boxes and fucking painting by numbers. Like, and I think ultimately too, that only gets you so far, you know, like there's always going to be some kid that's going to be able to do what you do more efficiently if that's what it's all about. Right. Like if it's just about, right, you know, right. yeah, that's actually, um, I don't know if you know, Duncan Trussell, have you ever heard of that guy? No. He's like a comedian slash also, um, uh, podcaster. And he talks about being the gatekeeper to like your thing. Right. And I think that's like a kind of powerful way to look at making art. Cause it's like, if you look at it as I'm the gatekeeper of the thing that I do, nobody else can do it the exact same way as me because nobody's had the same experiences that I have and thinks about things in the exact same way that I do. Then it's almost like you're doing everyone a disservice by not putting out the thing that you're gatekeeping and instead just putting out the other thing that anybody can do. Right. I feel that dude. I, I, and maybe one of the things for me is that I, I like, I guess maybe I, we were talking about this when I was talking to you before. It's like, I think I, more than my friends, I was open to showing people my process, but I still was, I feel like that in the end of the day, a lot of what I felt defined me was kind of what you're saying about at that time, it was really difficult to achieve a certain level of production value or to roll with a certain group of people like it was kind of like an exclusive space. Mm-hmm. And then there's like all this fear associated with allowing people into that space because then all of a sudden it makes it so the things that you're doing aren't as important, you know? Um, but you can get caught up in this place where you're like, man, you're spending more energy trying to keep people out of your space than you are, you know, growing and learning new shit, you know? Like all of a sudden you're like, if you play, have you ever played a, Warcraft or like Starcraft mm-hmm. or anything. Yeah, yeah, like both. Any of those resource games. It's like if you spend all your time just fighting people off and like, you know, kind of using all your resources just to defend, you're going to lose ultimately, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be spending resources growing. You have to spend resources on a lot of different things and balancing a lot of different balls. Uh, yeah, that's a good analogy for it actually and i think the other day when we talked about this i likened it as well to the programming or the tech industry because it seems like um <clears throat> a lot of people in the tech industry just open source stuff like they'll spend a long time making these like really complex and intense libraries and then uh-huh. they'll just be like cool let me put it up on github for free where anybody can clone the repository and download it and use it them their own way and then yeah. re- re-upload it to git and therefore there's now an updated library that's been grown on by somebody else Right. And I think um, the same sort of thing for sure happens in production. I mean, for starters, you know, cymatics is a good example. Um, you know, they made all this stuff readily available. Obviously, they were paid quite nicely for it. But um, as a result, it's like now everybody can just easily make the dubstep thing. So now it's right. kind of like dubstep has to get more interesting because the standard yep. is just like not enough anymore because it's so easy and attainable. Yeah, I wonder like in certain instances, like I wonder, I ask myself this question too. It's like, is there going to be a point where you decide to kind of put the curtain back up? You know, like I think about that with Valentin in particular. I don't think it's possible anymore because, um, I mean, you know, Valentin just puts the curtain back up. There's just going to be somebody else out there who 
who right. figures it out and brings it down again you know like i you know like au5 is putting out a shitload of tutorials now it's like if Val- if they're not going to valentin's tutorials they're just going to go to austin's tutorials yeah that, man actually like that's that, just that whole concept right there like if you extrapolate that on so many levels man i think that that is like literally the hardest part uh i think for people to realize and to recognize and to like kind of understand is that this none of this shit gets easier you know it's like i mean it's hard to get noticed and it's hard to stay noticed right and but, but making it doesn't like doesn't uh, absolve you of like any hard task no it's like i, I mean i would even so go so far as to say that like there's no such thing as like making it there's just doing it you know like that's like a very sisyphean way of looking at it do you know about sisyphus uh bring me up to speed so this i think it's greek mythology or something or philosophy um where there's this guy called sisyphus and he gets banished to the top of a hill where a boulder rolls down it and then Ah. he has to go down to the bottom of the hill and roll the boulder back up to the top and then the boulder just rolls down the hill again and he he has to do that for his entire life like that's his punishment for doing whatever um but then there was this uh other philosopher i think his name was camus or something like that um and he was like well we have to imagine sisyphus as happy and we have to imagine that we're all sort of like sisyphus right like we're all just pushing boulders up hills yeah man there's a uh i don't know if it's would have any interest to you but i'll find the video and link it to you there's a guy i got really obsessed with like i already mentioned it once dark souls Mm -hmm. and uh um i tried to get my brother to play bloodborne which is also essentially dark souls it's without getting into detail, it's similar to Dark Souls. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult, um, but, it's, but it's all solvable. I think that's also a programming thing too, where it's like you have to believe that the problem's solvable in order to solve a problem. Um, but that, that's like those games in a nutshell. And one of the problems that people have with those games is that when you die, you have to do everything all over again. So you, it's like, imagine like getting... 99% done with a puzzle and you fuck up the last piece and then you have to you have to break the puzzle apart and put it back together again. Um, <laughs> which is really, really frustrating for people. But it's kind of like the boulder analogy you're talking about. Um, but people that realize that it's a game and it's supposed to be fun, the, prog- the, 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 the director and the people that put the game together, the designers and everybody, they put so much detail and so much care and also intrinsically in the gameplay it's designed for you to die at the 99% point and play it all again because yeah, yeah. you notice different things every time through and it and it's almost like a fractal where when you beat the whole game you're like oh my god i finally did it and then you sit there for a minute and you're like new game plus i have to play this again you know <laughs> even after you just went through that whole fucking nightmare you know of like <laughs> and, and and again I, I just started playing it uh bloodborne again actually this week uh, with um, Seven Lions. And both of us have matching uh, Hunter's Mark tattoos from the game. Um, <laughs> we're like obsessed with it and with the Soulsborne stuff. For a similar reason, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I got to push this boulder up in the hill. That sounds mundane to you. But every time I do it, I make a new game out of it. You know, every time I do it, I find a little bit of an easier way to do it. Like, I, and right. I also get stronger, you know? Um, that kind of persistent mentality is super important for being a for for producing art i think right because it's sort of like 
making art is quite Sisyphean at points. Like you were saying with the sound design thing, it's it's quite often just this process-based thing. And it's like if you can't learn to love the process and you will only ever think that you can love it if there's a good outcome, right. it's always going to be fucking hellish. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. That's like the... That's one of those things with the live streaming thing where you're like, all right, here we go. Like I, I say I'm going in the weeds, you know, like sometimes I go in the weeds and I come out with something and sometimes I don't, you know, but <laughs> this is where we're going. Like you can log out if you want, but we're going in the weeds, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I like the meditation thing rings true to me with that because especially when you're kind of not only kind of like tweaking in the darkness, but you're like narrating it as you go i would say that's not so much meditation so much as it's like determination well I, i'm just saying like on a psychological level for me there's something it's really like cath- it feels cathartic or whatever yeah and also there's nothing else i'm thinking about you know what i'm saying yeah. like i'm not i'm not worried about what's going on with my kid who uh, even while i've been on this call i've been holding my laptop chasing him around trying to make sure <laughs> that he doesn't run out the front gate right um I'm constantly, as a dad, have a have like a base layer of fear. I have like mm-hmm. a base. It's like on a, uh, you know, I, I would say it's probably like code. You know, it's oh, evolutionarily yeah, it's like genetic shit in your brain, just like pinging you constantly, being like, make sure the kid's fine. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the only way I can silence that is working on music. The only way I can silence that is playing games like Bloodborne. You know. Um, and then I have like just my own psychological quirks, you know, like anxiety and I quit smoking cigarettes like not too long ago. Uh, that's man. That's a, yeah. that's a huge thing to do. Thanks, man. I did the same. I smoked cigarettes for like fucking a uh, long ass time. And then I quit using this drug called Chantix. It's like a yeah. pill that you take. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing a cold turkey. Uh, I stopped when the coronavirus thing started up, you know, I was oh, like, oh, shit. A good, <laughs> good time to stop. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, like when people talk about, you know, and the things you were saying earlier about the meditation concept and your understanding of it and all that, it's like, man, when I'm working in the studio, I, f- I, and when I'm narrating what I'm doing in so many ways, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, you know, that didn't work. That's okay. Like I'm going to continue to move on from this point here and, and, and then I'm going to try to, see what I can do from this point. Or maybe it's like, you know what? This idea is cool, but it's not that great. I'm just going to start over with no qualm, <laughs> with no qualms about it. Like, and also with a, with an audience where I remember the first couple of times where I was streaming and you feel this like urgency to make something on the spot. That's just fucking incredible. You know, that people mm. go, holy shit, you know, Killer Noise is fucking a genius sound designer. Oh my God. I need to share this with all my friends. I need right. them to subscribe. Like, I want this fucking channel to blow up. Like, and then I started realizing it's like, man, uh, there's a lot of people out there that are really good at a lot of things, whether it's gaming, making music. Uh, there's tons of things that people stream on the internet. And the reality is, is that some of the more popular channels, they're not even good at it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's all, it's more about like interacting with the audience and stuff like that. I think it's better to be honest though about the process. And I'm the same with my streams whenever I do Ableton stuff. Yeah. Um, people will be like, Hey, can you play the track from the start? I want to hear it. Cause that would be the more fulfilling thing to do. Right. And I'll, and I'll more often than not be like, no, nah, I'm going to just keep plugging away at this section. Cause that's just how I work. Yeah. And I'll listen to the song at the end of the session when I'm 
done and then sometimes you know you listen to the whole song and then get to the part you're working on and go just hit the space bar again and go oh fuck it we fucked it up i guess and save as and quit the stream yeah and then other, yeah, other yeah. times you get to that point you're like see like if i had to listen to the rest of the song i probably would have fucked up my perspective a bunch and like not created this really cool switch in the song or whatever right and you realize that there's people coming in and out of process and they haven't been along for the whole ride mm-hmm. it's a psychological experience streaming because you realize you can't control a lot of things about what's going on. Like even your connection. I've been having trouble with my internet this week. Mm. Um, I, I had to cut my stream short yesterday. I was only able to stream for 10 minutes before I just totally shit the bed. Oh damn! And I feel like it's all like a, an exercise in just letting go of some variables, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't control a lot of things right now. And even like, your image, you know, like the way that people might perceive you. Um, I think when you, the less that you show of yourself, the more particular you are of how people see you, you know? Um, like I think about like the analysis paralysis thing, you know, where it's like now all of a sudden it's like, okay, there's only three photographs that exist of me. If I'm going to add a fourth, it better be good, you know, because then this, <laughs> that, my whole existence gets reduced down to these four photos, you know? But mm-hmm. if your existence in the digital space and your existence as a creator is this like kind of like tang- tangent that's it's like a conversation like the one that we're having where it's it's always changing and yeah sure you know people can cut out pieces and talk about certain parts but it, the conversation c- continues on maybe from that point they'll follow through to where you're at now you know uh in your life and um, I, I just noticed that from spending so much time uh, at certain periods, like kind of being really precious about musically what I was doing and just in general, like trying to almost kind of like create the, uh, what do they do with like, uh, like De Beers with diamonds? It's like a, uh, um, like an artificial economy where they like, they dig up so many more diamonds than they put on the market. They like hide most of them in like vaults to like, drive oh, the right, price so, up yeah, yeah make make them rarer yeah exactly i think that like if that's your approach to being a musician i think or just you know doing anything i think you end up just irrelevant eventually you know like yeah also i think the more that you put of yourself out there it kind of like it builds this bigger overall picture of you kind of thing like if, if there is only one thing of you out there let's say one photograph or one song or one image or whatever and then you put another thing out there. It's like that extra thing that you put out there changes things so much because there's only one thing out there. So the next yeah. thing you put out is 50% of the shit that you've ever put out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas like if you put out tons of shit, like, you know, hundreds of podcasts and hundreds of streams and hundreds of project files and shitloads of music, it's like each next thing you put out is just such a small percentage adding to the pile right. that it doesn't change the overall picture of like who you are as an artist to enjoy kind of thing. Could be. Yeah. I, but, but you know, there's something also, also to be said about the environment that we're in these days where I think that like be, in the past, you're able to get away with, you know, kind of, I mean, I just think of all my favorite bands, you know, they put out a new album every five years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's years of time that went between cycles, you know? Um, and it's harder to do that now. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it's harder to do. And I think that like, there's something to be said for just 
not necessarily like opening a door into your life, but kind of like leaving a window open where it's like, man, I'm always working on shit. Hopefully that magic, like the light, you know, capturing lightning in a bottle, it'll happen. Um, but I've seen how emotionally and physically, et cetera, draining it can be to kind of try to create these epic cycles. Like, I mean, I, there's a couple of people who have come out publicly and kind of like said, said that in, in essence, like, um, like Maddion, for example, when he put out his last album, he was just like, man, just spending so much time, like being so precious with ideas that in this phase of my life, like I want things to be more spontaneous, you know? And like, and, 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 and not only him, but Porter too, like the way that those guys have opened a window, so to speak with like, you know, streaming them, just playing video games, you know, and like just being a person and feeling proud of your, just proud of yourself, proud of, proud of your body of work, like feeling like you have a certain connection with your audience just by, I mean, cause it, it, it can start turning into the situation where it's like the only time that I'm going to interface with my audience is when I put out an album or when I put out a single or when I put out a tour. And then beyond that, it's like, all right, I got nothing useful to say. So I'm just not going to say anything, you know? Um, but I think the society we live in kind of demands a certain amount of like, what's the word? Like uh, ambient existence in the digital space. Or at least we feel like it does, right? Like at least we, or at feel, least we it. feel like it does. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. But I think it could be psychologically important to some people, you know, like I, I think people like they well, push. Here's, here's the thing, though, like I, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I certainly never go on the Internet being like, well, I hope all of my favorite artists have posted something on Twitter today. I don't like go through my feed, like ticking off a checklist like, yep, kill them. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That, I don't do that either. I'm, I'm saying from the perspective of the artist, like I'm saying from like I. Like how no, 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 psycho but, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like from our perspective, it seems important to do that. But from almost anyone else's perspective, I'm sure it doesn't matter too much. Right, right. I, I guess I'm talking from that artist perspective where it's like, you know, someone like Maddie, I might put a record out. I hate to just keep using him as an example. I have no idea how he really feels. But mm -hmm. I'm just saying like, you know, someone puts out a record and they go, yo, you know, I mean, are you guys listening to the record? Like, and yo, I'm here. Like, I'm doing stuff like I, my record, I, I think it becomes psychological in that sense where it's like people are putting music out because they want to connect, you know, like people want to connect with other people. And I think putting music out can become like this really like lone wolf kind of, especially electronic music. It can become like this really lonely trail and you work and work and work and work. And you're like dreaming of this time where you reveal this idea and all of its glory and all these people gather around and it's like, like a Lord of the Rings moment, like at the end when all the different armies come together and all that shit. It's like this really exciting thing, <laughs> but you put the record out and it's kind of like, cool, dude, your record's sick. And then a week later, or two weeks later, or a month later, the bubble just bubbles out, you know? And like, yeah, it's like, come on, where's the next one? <laughs> and then you might say like, yo, is anybody still listening to the record? And the bubbling comes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We fucking love the record, man. But that's it, you know? And then all of a sudden you're back in this lonely space you know right, but that's a great argument for trying to tell uh other artists or yourself even 
especially yourself really, um, that it's so important to enjoy the process of actually making music and to find it deeply fulfilling because yes, otherwise like these other benefits from it are so transient and well, part just, of it. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, and I mean, if it, you listen to you know, a lot of people like Jordan Peterson, for instance, um, when he talks about authoring your life, he's basically, or, or Aubrey Marcus with, you know, own the day, own your life. They're basically talking about like, you know, your life is made up <clears throat> of a series of days, right? Um, when you put an album out, that's like a very small series or a very small portion of your days that are going to be reflectant around that album. And, you know, when you're playing a show, it's like the amount of time that you're on stage for, it's a very small portion of your life. Um, whereas writing music in the studio, if that's like your full-time job, that's most of your life right there. Yeah. It's, it's going to yeah. be spent yeah. sitting in the fucking studio. So you should learn to enjoy it or figure out how, how you can find it in very deeply fulfilling and enjoyable because that's going to be essentially yeah. at the end of your life what your life was right you know you spend like a third of your life pissing and shitting too or something like that a third there's no way i don't think it's a third it's like an eighth it's a lot more than you think it is that's fucking crazy maybe I i'm would, wrong that was yeah. a, that was a total i just made that up actually i, I think it's a lot though <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, if you think about it, like I probably piss like 10 times a day. Yeah, it depends on who you are. Like, that's true. Yeah. Blast depends on how much coffee you're drinking. Yeah. Um, anyway, dude, this is the conversation that goes on forever, man. And I, oh, I hope yeah. that we continue to talk about stuff like this, man. You know, oh, I'd love to, man. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when all this is over and I'm in LA, I'll hit you up and vice versa if you're ever in San Francisco. Um, yeah. But, dude, yeah. Thanks so much for doing this. I don't this, even know eh? what, yeah. I don't even know what the, well, how would you sum up our conversation? I guess we're just talking about being an artist. Uh, I think that's like a, a lot of these things I think are things that a lot of people think. And I think it's really, um, is it something I, your audience is like all about sure, man. this kind Absolutely. of conversation? Oh, Hell yeah. definitely. I, I think like this kind of conversation is like, if you're a small artist listening to this, you probably are starting to have these anxieties anyway. And I think it can be really reassuring to hear that, no matter how big you get, like these anxieties don't get, a, don't go away. You just figure out different ways of managing them. Yeah. It's almost yeah, like, sure, man. I, I had that thought for a long ass time. Um, it's kind of like the, the people who are the best artists are the ones who can just stay around and manage their anxieties. The best seems like. Yeah. I also think, man, the, just the balance of what you just said is also wrapped up in like, just finding cool people, man. You know, like you said, with like coming to LA, there's a crust on the outside of like superficiality and people that are chasing kind of the trying to find shortcuts and things like that. But mm. yeah, I was super people who are just trying to get in the middle of shit and stuff like that. Yeah. Or people trying to force themselves in the middle of a situation to make money or whatever. Uh, but man, I've been really fortunate, you know, and like some of it too, is just me being responsive to when people that I know are cool and are doing interesting things reach out. Like, there's so many people that I know that are, I'm sure people that you and I both really look up to that I think that they would really love to connect, but they overthink it way too much, you know, and just right. like worry, worry too much, you know, <laughs> right, right. where I, maybe that was the thing for me with talking about this, like ever since all this shit started with the quarantine and even leading up to this in my life with having a kid four years ago, it's been a process of like letting go of some of my insecurities and some of my, um, like trying to protect my IP, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, like, 
and just trying to learn and trying to share the things that I know because it helps me learn more about who I am and and what I'm good at and what I need work on. And it's like, I, I would say that that's just made me so much happier, you know, as a, as an artist, you know? So anyway, that's a good place to stop. I think. Yeah, man. Fuck. Well, yeah, that was a long one. That's two hours. Um, but yeah, man, I, I appreciate you doing this for sure. Like, and, and like you're saying, a lot of these bigger artists who might be um, scared to you know reach out or talk publicly too much because they're, too worried about these other things and overthinking it i'm very glad that you weren't that way and, and that you decided to do this podcast yeah i wish i was a big artist dude <laughs> <laughs> i mean you are in you know, relative to a lot of artists oh man yeah that's what it is it's all relative right uh and it, oh, and it goes and it goes up and down that's for sure okay. um but dude brother it's good talking to you man and i will catch up with you soon enough you too man Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. (laughs) 